I think that the stillbirth is so in your face, which makes it like, oh my God, that's horrible. But then we look at a miscarriage and we say like, what happens in one for women? You know, there's a 25% chance that you'll miscarry in the first few weeks. It's normal. It's not normal, it's common, right? And that's another thing that we've realized, you know, where it's quote normal to pee your pants we're like no it's not normal it's common and it still sucks and I think that that really takes away from these women wanting to share about their miscarriage because yeah maybe it's so early that they haven't even shared that they were pregnant but I've had so many women message me I miscarried a baby I was trying for for years you know that is devastating right like that this and then we leave these poor moms because they feel that it's normal and there's no space to talk about it but you know there is a space welcome to mom strength a podcast and movement to empower educate and showcase mom strength inside and out i'm your host surabi veach physiotherapist and fitness coach also known as the passionate physio Join me for discussions on movement, mindset, and motherhood, where we raise the bar and challenge the status quo. Get ready for expert interviews and real, honest conversations where we explore physical, mental, and emotional health. Let's celebrate the beautiful diversity and common experiences in all of our journeys. Let's do this. Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Mom Strength. This is Sura B. Veach, and I am really honored to have a conversation today with Brianna Nacarado. So I'm going to talk about Brianna Bri, uh, a little bit. I'll introduce her, and then I'm going to have her on. And I wanted to say that this is a very important conversation that me, you know, in the physio world, in the fitness world, really, we don't know a lot about this. It's a heavy and a painful discussion, conversation. So I wanted to say that right off the bat. So if you're listening to this, you are aware that the some of the topics we'll be discussing are are painful. Um, and I think that if, whether you're pregnant, postpartum, whether you're a mom, whether you're a fitness coach uh, like us, a physiotherapist, anywhere in the you know health and wellness space, this is an important conversation for you to hear. So Brie is the owner of Loved Mama Fitness. She, that's her business. She started in 2018 after the birth of her first daughter when it became clear that the recommendations and training options for athletes through pregnancy and postpartum were severely lacking. And so similar Similar journey with me too is, you know, getting into this field after our own first experiences. Um, Brie has a bachelor's degree in psychology and is a CrossFit level one coach. She's super strong. Um, and she began training women through all the seasons of motherhood. And in April 2021, Brie gave birth to her second daughter, and tragically, her baby girl was stillborn. And with that, the landscape of her entire business and life had changed completely. Now her focus has been on creating trigger-free recovery programs for mothers who have experienced traumatic or tragic pregnancy and infant loss. Brie, I just want to say I am so honored to have you on here on Mom Strength. Um, You embody Mom Strength um, to have a conversation with us today. Thank you. Yeah, I'm definitely very excited to be here also. So why don't we start by just, why don't you share a little bit more about you and, you know, what you were doing maybe before you had kids and um, how your journey has evolved since you, since you had kids? Yeah. Well, wow. All right. My journey 
to getting in the fitness world is not, it was not expected, I guess. My husband, he started working in St. Louis and we lived in Nevada at the time. And I was still in college and it was my last year's, I guess my senior year, but technically it was not my senior year. Um, and I was graduating in December of uh, 2014. So he had already in October moved out to St. Louis and asked if I wanted to move with him, which was kind of a surprise because we started dating only a few months prior, but Ooh. I agreed. So <laughs> after I graduated um, with my degree in psychology, we moved the day after Christmas in 2014 to St. Louis. And there I kind of bounced back and forth trying to decide if I wanted to go back for my master's degree at the um, universities there. Uh, I ultimately obviously did not go back for my master's. And I started working at a CrossFit gym trying to make friends in the community because I knew literally no one in St. Louis. Um, Started working out there. One of their coaches left and then they were having a CrossFit level one. um, What's it called? Like a training whatever training teacher training yeah and I was like huh you know that's pretty cool counseling I was going to go back for my marriage and family therapist master's in marriage and family therapist but um I was like you know those are pretty similar uh and they are very much and now I'm like you know they're basically one and the same we're just doing movement versus a counseling type you know sit down so true there's so much similarity I've realized oh, that yeah. from my own experience by like by seeing a therapist. Like every time everything she says to me, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is what I tell my clients. And like it's uh-huh. just reframing <laughs> it from a physical perspective like perspective to like a mental and you know. So that's really great right. cool that you saw that parallel too. Um so yeah, this was in 100%. kind of twenty fourteen that you started getting into um, fitness. It would be twenty fifteen. And then nice. so I started coaching and the gym I was at in Missouri was called CrossFit TNT. Uh, they've since changed their name. Uh, but the coaches there were amazing. And I shadowed with them. And they really mentored me and helped me become the coach that I am. And then in 2017, I got pregnant unexpectedly um, with <laughs> Elowen. And then that was kind of like, wow, you know, there wasn't tons of recommendation. Obviously, the owner at the time, she had had two children, so she understood what it was like. But again, there was not like that direct, like, nobody talked to me about my pelvic floor at all. So, mm-hmm. and I didn't really think about it. And my pregnancy was pretty easy. Yeah, easy in air quotes with Elowen. I had lots of swelling and just kind of achy, achy hips. And now I know it was a lot of brown ligament pain, mm-hmm. really tight pelvic floor. Um, I was coning a lot in a lot of my movements. And thankfully, after delivery, like there was no major issues. My diastasis was rather large, but closed with no problem after finding Brianna Battles, of course. <laughs> and so for um, those of you who don't know, just, you know, coning is when your abdomen, where you're, when you have a diastasis recti through pregnancy, or you see, you know, a visual cone as you're doing certain exercises, and it just indicates, you know, poor pressure management. And so this can happen through pregnancy, it can happen postpartum, it can happen even if you've never had children. And so what Bree's referring to is, you know, what she experienced in her body, didn't know about. And same here. I didn't know any of this. And I was a physiotherapist. I'd been a physio for mm, seven years already. And I'm like, how? But training in orthopedics is very different than training in pelvic health. So, you know, 
it's so hard to be hard on ourselves for not knowing, but then recognizing that we literally were never instructed and taught this makes so much sense. And Brianna Battles then has a complete pregnancy and postpartum athleticism training, which is what Brie did. Am I right? Yes, yes. So it was kind of good, like perfect timing. I did the very first course that she put out and I think she's oh, since wow. like rehabbed it maybe two times. Yeah. I could be wrong, but I know she's, she goes back in and updates and changes and it. sends yeah. it off to us all. Um, I did hers in 2018 and I, so I gave birth to Eloin and six weeks later we moved back to Nevada. Um, oh my God. So it, it was really a rough period of time there. Once we got back here, I kind of had to settle in. We moved back in with my parents because we weren't able to find a house right away. Um, I started working out at a different, uh, well, new CrossFit gym, obviously. I can go back to St. Louis to work out. <laughs> um, and similar thing, the coach and owner of that gym, she is also a pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach. So we both kind of had that background, but we were still learning. We had both already had a child without understanding pelvic floor health. So then I took Brianna's course, got my certification, and I went to a seminar, one of her first seminars also in California with, um, oh, I'm not even going to be able to remember her name. Uh, I'm sure people know who exactly I'm talking about. Lindsay? No, it's not Lindsay. Either way, it was at her gym at the time in California there. So that was really fun. And I think I was about four months postpartum then. So it was like mind blowing. I remember leaving there like excited, but discouraged because I was like, why did I not I know. know any it's of so, this? It's so hard when you're like, I really wish somebody told me all this so that I, and sometimes we think we could prevent it. But sometimes it's like you, I probably would have still ended up with a diastasis and a prolapse because that's just my body. You know, it's like, right. it's really amazing the work that Brianna Battles does. And, and that's so cool. You've been with her kind of since the beginning. Um, and so yeah, it's once, really awesome to watch her journey. That's so cool. Because I only discovered her after when I was in my second pregnancy through people like Inemesit Graham to through Rhonda, through Rhonda Chamberlain. So it was very cool to learn about it in my second, but it's so cool to learn about it after your first. So tell me a little bit more about your work then. Um, yeah. So I remember sitting on my bed with Eloin, like she was still nursing. I was trying to get her to sleep, doing my course. And I was like, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to start the business. It's okay. So I started the business, um, you know, just like many of us on our own at home, literally at home while we are trying to take care of our child. We're just doing it. So I started training clients, um, building out programs. I fell into uh, doing like the six-week program for pregnant or postpartum moms. And then having one-on-ones was like my biggest thing that I was doing. And I loved it. I loved all of it. I continue to do that. I coached and trained clients through my second pregnancy. And I was so excited to have all this information. I felt like, yes, I know what to do this time and what to watch for. So, you know, it's not always everybody's story, but thankfully I didn't do any real harm to my body through my first pregnancy. You know, being just aware of your body or listening to your body was not enough. And I think that's something we always highlight really well 
So moving into pregnancy with Rainy, it was very similar to Elowen's pregnancy, my first. Um, but I was able to manage my round ligament pain, the mm. pressure, and a lot of that uncomfortableness um, nice. really well. And that was super exciting. Um, I broke my foot, though, when I was 30 <gasps> weeks pregnant what? with Rainy. <laughs> oh, oh, my <laughs> and gosh. That's, that's like the worst time to break, injure yourself. Oh, it was terrible. And I um, that was hard because – you were on, I was on crutches and then I had a boot and then just trying to move around at that point with a huge belly and then walking (laughs) with, yeah. Yeah. Ellie was three at that time. Um, and, and so then I had other things to work with that, that my pelvis was constantly shifted out of place because of the walking boot. Um, and that's led to a lot of kind of dysfunction. Now, postpartum from Rainy, I have a lot of injuries that I can mm. see are coming from my hips that were just out of whack. So it's like really great that we, we, I know so much now um, because it's this recovery has been super complicated beyond just the delivery of her being stillborn. So, yeah. I am so happy I have the knowledge that I have now and, you know, the women that I've worked with, they know in this, this huge growing social, you know, social media is great in that, but there's so many women out there just like you that do this in our communities and we are just like empowering women all over the world and it's fantastic. I, I truly agree. If it wasn't for social media, I never would have started my business. If like Because in oh, yeah. 2020 hit and we were stuck at home and it was like, you know, I was on social media and I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that there was this whole world of pelvic health and fitness and specific pregnancy and postpartum. I don't know if I was living under a rock or something, but I discovered this and yeah, it's allowed me to connect with amazing people like you who are spreading positive messages, empowering messages to women through this time period. And allowing people to return to physical activities with more confidence in their body. And one thing that you mentioned that really stuck out is, you know, you were armed with more knowledge going into your second postpartum experience. So like, I think there's less fear around symptoms too when you're like, oh, I know what that is. Or like, oh, I know how to manage pressure here because, you know, I'm doing something that's causing pain. And I think that's the work that we can help our clients with because they're not coaches and they're not necessarily physios. They're you know, everyday people who have jobs in other fields, or perhaps they they um, are stay at home mom and they need that support. And so, right, can we talk right. a little bit? Yeah, and can we talk a little bit about your clients? Like, what kind of um, are they cross? Are are they mostly into CrossFit? Are they, um, you know, what kind of population? I guess you work with. Yeah, no, it, it was really cool to have this type of business and be a CrossFit coach, but also reaching just, you know, quote unquote, normal moms. So <laughs> I had a range, I would get really strong CrossFit athletes that we she'd be like, I'm leaking in power cleans, like heavy power cleans, or the bottom of my of my squats. So she's like, you know, squatting 150 plus 200 pounds, and we're working on managing her breath. And then I'd have moms who come to me and they're like, I just want to be able to run around the playground with my kid and not pee my pants. I, you know, I want to be able to pick them up and not have my prolapse symptoms. You know, I want to be able to comfortably wash the dishes 
every day and not be having prolapse pain, heaviness, all this back pain or whatever it might be. So I think working with those super strong CrossFit athletes was actually the rarity. You know, Mm. I I would come in and they would, and then I'd have other clients that were like, oh, I just am peeing everywhere when I do double unders. And we'd only work a couple of sessions, you know, for the most part, like one session and we've got it done and then they can just go on with their lives. And that's so great. Um, But most of it was that preparing for birth and pregnancy. I was before rainy, I was preparing to become a doula. So I did a lot of the that type of work with my clients, uh, you know, mindset, but also relaxation and preparation for what contractions actually feel like, especially the first time moms and just getting in that place. And then subsequent pregnancies with other clients that had already had prolapse or uh, we already knew they had a large diastasis with their previous pregnancies after birth. So we helped manage pressure, uh, maybe a bit better just to help to preserve that linear elbow as we know that diastasis is going to happen and it's fine. Yeah. And that's, we like that. But, um, so it was really cool. I did it for enough time that I would have like repeat clients back from their next pregnancy. Next and that pregnancy. was really fun. That's so cool. Yeah. You see, you, yeah, yeah, you get to see the whole transition, right? And mm-hmm. that's a really cool thing to be part of too. And I'm glad that you said that because if there are local clients to where you live, they can connect with you for support as well. Um, because sometimes I, when I know that people are into CrossFit, they may only see people who are like really high level athletes, but um, that's really good to know that you also um, work with people who have different goals, different athletic goals or movement goals. Um, yeah. Yeah. So a big focus was more like I would do workshops and that's where that would get the bigger, not bigger, higher level CrossFit athletes right. because they could come just for the Specific weekend for and that. resolve an issue versus, uh, you know, being really early postpartum. And then I worked with quite a few older women who are postmenopausal that are suddenly having pelvic floor dysfunction and they're like, what is happening? So um, that was just really cool to help them get stronger in their bodies, maybe heal from a pregnancy literally 35 years ago that they were never rehabbed in. And then sometimes became even worse post, um, in postmenopausal. And so that was a lot of fun. So most of all my clients were everyday moms and I really enjoy that. Amazing. And so let's go back to now you are in your second pregnancy with Rainy, and can you can are you okay to talk a little bit about what happened around her birth? Um, yeah, so yeah, she perfect pregnancy every appointment. She was moving constantly, playing heart rates great. Um, I was fine, no additional swelling. Some symptoms were better this pregnancy with Ella, and I had um, carpal carpal tunnel carpal tunnel syndrome. Yeah. So bad, so badly in my hands. I would wake up and I couldn't even like straighten them out. Didn't have any of that with Rainy. It was it was great. I was very happy. We were in our home and I knew that we weren't going to move. Um, I feel that I suffered pretty heavily from postpartum anxiety and depression with Elowen. So I had a therapist. Like things were all just all set. I was prepared. Um, I had noticed I was thirty nine weeks pregnant. So full term that there was a slight change in her movement, but it, I, we would go to our appointments and she was completely fine. <clears throat> She'd be kicking, moving, heart rate, still great. And 
as I've been in this world, we have been told, and I was told this multiple times, like, it's okay. Like they slow down as they prepare for labor. So conserving energy, whatever. I've been told that, that is too. Com- yeah. <laughs> completely inaccurate. So oh. any, any and every change, you know, we're with our child for nine months or in our body, we get very used to it, whether you could pull it out of the top of your head, like, we don't expect you to say like, oh yeah, they, they move like 10 times immediately after you drink coffee. You just get used to that. And then you will notice when it changes. Um, mm. So that's inaccurate. Um, and so I noticed that, but it wasn't a huge deal. And I felt very calm about it all. Like throughout my whole pregnancy, I just kind of had this knowing in my mind that I would never have this baby and I thought that like it was fear because I was going to have two children, like two children. And that's challenging in itself. And I was a little nervous about the postpartum again because it was pretty hard. I knew that it would be different because we weren't moving and I was more prepared what it's like to constantly be nursing a child and be up all night Sleep long. deprivation and yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I just thought I was scared, but I... I remember having a small like baby shower. It wasn't like friends all came over and everything. My whole family came and just prepared freezer meals and things like that. And it was really nice. But I just remember kind of thinking like, this is pointless. (laughs) Like, why does this feel pointless to me? And it it wasn't in like a feeling like, um, I don't want it. I don't care. It was just like, I just knew. Didn't feel right. That the baby wouldn't be here. And it's really exciting that I'm pregnant and we're celebrating this baby, but the baby's not going to be here. And I just knew that. And again, I was like, that's just weird. And I would have like dreams where I would give birth. So we didn't know the gender of the baby and I was planning a home birth. So that's just like a little background. And so we had the pool and everything, but I would have these dreams where I would deliver the baby and it would just float away from me and I could never catch it. And I would have that dream all the time. And then I'd have dreams that the baby's teeth would fall out. And apparently, like, these are, like, really dark things. But apparently, their teeth falling out are, like, synonymous with death, which I was like, okay, that's weird. (laughs) But I would have these dreams all the time. Um, And it's just crazy because I would have the same teeth dreams with Elowen. And I think that it's so important that we don't push off these – the 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 mother's intuition instinct yeah intuition because it's like oh my gosh i literally knew this was going to happen when i was pregnant with elowen but like how would i have known it's just it's, it was uh it was crazy so she, she i noticed those feelings changing in pregnancy towards the end but i was 39 weeks she came exactly on her due date at 40 weeks, um, on her own labor started. So it was Easter Sunday. I went into labor that evening. I had noticed contractions start around 4 30 PM. We went home. I was able to go to sleep. I texted my midwife and said, Hey, contractions have started, but they're like 10 minutes apart. Uh, you know, I lost my mucus plug. All's good. So we fell asleep. I woke up around midnight and uh, they were closer together around five minutes. Um, so I just like walked around, <laughs> did all the things that I knew now, like to get her in a better position. Um, and then the midwives came around, I 
think it was like 3.30. That's when they checked on the baby and there was no heartbeat then. So we had to transfer to the hospital. And, you know, they tried all the things. She checked my dilation and she could feel the baby's head, but she couldn't rouse the baby. So they were pretty concerned at that point. So we transferred to the hospital. She was born at 7-11, April 5th. So the following morning. And the birth was really hard. (laughs) The birth was really hard. Um, I gave birth to Elowen at a birthing center. And I had midwives there. And it was just so cool to have the birthing center. It was still felt very much like at home. Mm -hmm. But it was in a hospital setting. So there was like that security all around that as well. I gave birth to Elowen completely unmedicated. It was what I wanted. And having the birth team was really helpful because they supported me through, especially the first birth. Like it's a little overwhelming. Um, But I vividly remember it not being so hard. Um, delivering rainy, I still did it completely unmedicated. And I don't say that as like, you know, I feel like I'm super awesome for doing that. I do that because that's my preference. I 100% like to be in control of this situation. Um, and as you know, we know more about, um, like epidurals and things like that. So yes, still yeah. I had two the- unmedicated births too. So it was my preference yeah. for those same reasons. And I have you know, if other people prefer epidurals, you know, I think that's great. Do what works best for you. But I felt the same. I was like, we know that there is a risk with epidurals and not being able to move as easily and all of that stuff. So Yes. And I knew that immediately once it became a hospital setting that if I chose to have those types of interventions, it would have looked so much worse with, for lack of a better word. But, um, you know, they did the ultrasound, confirmed it. Um, I was at an active labor. So I'm having, and at this point oh I had like gosh. double peaking contractions, <laughs> which was really fun when you're trying to lay there and they're scanning your belly. Um, and I think a lot of that was from this, the stress too. Stress. I didn't yeah. have double peaking contractions with Elowen and it's just interesting to see the difference in labors. Um, but we left the home, our home at, uh, and I was at a three and we got to the hospital and I was already at a six. Um, my water was still intact, which makes sense because with her being dead, she was not able to move the same. So she was not applying pressure on the water, the bag, the same that a living baby that can like literally push Push. its little legs off of you. Um, So I ended up hitting a 10, but I had a cervical lip. So this is also very different. And they don't tell you that you can feel your cervix. Um, So the OB was pushing my cervix open and I could feel all of it. And then they ended up breaking my water. And then where with Elowen, the pushing phase was like the easiest part for me as she came out in like three pushes. I pushed for a very long time with Rainy. I don't know how long it actually was, but it felt like it was very hard um, because the baby's not helping. She was not able to wiggle and twist. Um, I know that OB had to go in manually and tuck her chin because she was kind of stuck and not not stuck but like she was not coming out in a way that was making position. it easy for me to come out um so she was finally delivered it was not fun 
but we all were hoping that she would be alive, but she was not. Um, and pretty immediately we were able to see that she had a knot in her cord and she had a cord that was with a normal size, but it was on the shorter size side, which was also really bizarre because Elowen's cord was super long. I remember her being plopped on my chest and my placenta was still in me. And the midwife was like swinging her cord. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh, her cord is so long. And Rainey's was so short. I didn't, you know, they didn't do delayed cord clamping or anything. But I feel that if she was out and she, her cord was still connected and she was on me, she would only be like on my lower abdomen. abdomen. Like that's how short the cord that's was. That's how far, yeah. Yeah, so... As my body started pulling her down for labor, is it, the cord was tightening and loosening and tightening and loosening. So mm. that could have contributed to her slower movements. Um, and then when I went into labor and it was just a lot of active pulling down, it just it completely tightened, cutting off all her oxygen and blood flow. So we don't really know exactly when it happened um, because – with those contractions, the baby would still like kind of roll side to side. So like it feels like movement. Yes. Because so- you're – I remember being asked that question, is the baby moving? And I'm like, I don't know. My body is moving. So it's hard to distinguish what the difference is between that, you know, one or the other. Um, right. And I didn't think twice about it because I don't remember Elowen moving very much. Like she was not – she did not move anywhere near the amount that Rini moved. And so when they told me, like, you know, count the movements, I was like, I don't even have to worry about that because she constantly moves. Like, it was, like, something that I never, never even crossed my mind that could be a thing for her. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, nope. She, uh, yeah, it was was just a cord accident, which is wild. The whole pregnancy. And then that was it. (laughs) And, you know. I just want to say that through all of this, just hearing you speak about it, it literally could happen to any single person. Mm-hmm. And that is that is what is, I think, something that I think even though I've never experienced that or somebody else might have never experienced that, when you're reflecting back to your own, my own pregnancy, and I'm like, that could have happened to anybody, really could have. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. And you literally so, anyone. Like – just even just the strength that you have within you to be able to go through that and then deliver your baby knowing that she was not alive. Like that requires so much courage. And I just want to say that you are amazing. You are truly, truly incredible. And thank you. I hope that you see that about yourself. (laughs) I know that I definitely was not alone. I, I am Christian and we really felt that God was there with us and reminding us that we are okay. You, you know, um, and my husband even said like, Rainy kept you safe. Like she stayed with you this whole time and she was there. And I think it's worth mentioning also to a lot of people are like, well, like, how did you not know? It, even if we knew and I continued to labor with her, it can take like two minutes for that cord to tighten just right so like there was no there was literally no way that she would have been okay unless I got a 
C-section for no reason at 38 weeks. It's like just, months, yeah, weeks before. And would yeah, you, like, like, and that's the thing you is, you would never have known. You would never know. I, and what you said to, to, with my first, she didn't move that much. I wouldn't have known the difference with her. My, with my second, he moved all the time. And I remember during his labor, he would help. Like he helped. With my first, I don't remember her really helping. Like I don't remember her moving that much during that. And I don't know if it's because your first time you're not as flexible or stretched out or I don't know what the difference is, different different babies. Yeah. Um, but that's important. That's That myth is important for moms to know because we – I've been told that, oh, if they slow down, that's okay. That's normal. And it's like, mm-hmm. maybe listen mm-hmm. to that and, you know. Yeah. So I know that, like, I don't know what I would do differently in another pregnancy, but I know that I would, if I had any sort of weird inkling, inkling. in the back of my head, <laughs> I would be, like, on it 100%. Because yeah. at that point, I was so pregnant. There were, what could go wrong, right? Like yeah. we were just expecting. Once you're past her twelve weeks, you're like, okay, you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the last thing you want to do when you're that pregnant is go and sit and wait and listen and hear and and then again, and this is like a hard thing for me to talk about because I don't want anyone to think anything poorly about my midwives, but I feel that we are doing our the women in our world such a disservice for not having a birthing center. My advice are absolutely fantastic, but they are two people and their office is out of one of their homes. There's another office that's about 40 minutes from me. So for me to be like, I feel like I want to go get the baby checked. It wouldn't have been as easy as maybe showing up in my OB office. And then from Mm -hmm. there, I'm 40 weeks pregnant. You know, I denied a lot of what I felt were like unnecessary things. Of course, I did all the blood work. We went and got ultrasounds and all those things. We knew the baby was healthy, but I would be showing up without an OB, planning a home birth. And the climate here is just not very supportive of that. So I felt right, like because I really you moved. had no option. Yes. Yeah. Because yes. you moved. Yeah. That, cause I was going to ask why didn't you didn't choose the birthing center the second time, but that's, that's why. There right. There's there no, no birthing, birthing center, center right here. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I could be feeling like that myself. Clearly, I didn't go in, but I knew that it was not as easily accessible easy. as it should have been. And I think that's the whole point. Like, period. It should have been, like, accessible, and I wouldn't have had to jump through hoops and and um, validate my decisions or, like, defend myself. And that's what I felt. And I shouldn't have had to feel like that way in the first place. That's, Absolutely. that's my only point. And I, I, I wish that that was available. I wish I wish that too. I remember thinking, I wish there was entire, like not even like a birthing center, a hospital, with which was just to support pregnant people. Because with my first pregnancy, I had a lot of um, unexplained bleeding. So through my first pregnancy, it was really hard because I had to go in multiple times. And there were times where I was like, ah, oh, I don't want to have to sit and merge for eight hours again and go through this all. And, but that's what I had to do. So, because that was just the protocol, right? There's just no center mm-hmm. where you can go in and just go for like that relate, like pregnancy related complications. And it is a barrier. I see a lot of moms asking Facebook groups, oh, what do you think I should do? And I'm like, you shouldn't need to ask for medical advice on a Facebook group, but that's what moms feel like they have to do because they can't even go and quickly get support or get 
get a checkup right. or get an ultrasound right. or get something done. <laughs> and I think that that is something that we all need to push for better in our communities is accessibility right. to support. <laughs> because, you know? and, you know, to point out, it was 2020. Yeah. 2021. I was, it was like the pandemic. So the last thing I'm going to do with my baby, like I wore a mask all the time because I was pregnant, Yeah, was going to go sit in an emergency room with my pregnant belly, literally surrounded by COVID people. So right. COVID, COVID, possible COVID. Potential, people. yeah. Yeah. Patients. There we go. Yeah. People. <laughs> um, people. Yeah. No, that like, and I hate to say this stat, and I don't know that it's what it is specifically, but there was more miscarriage and stillbirths within the pandemic than in recent years. So I don't know specifically or the numbers, but I just know that that is real. I believe and that, that happened. And this is a perfect example of why. Yeah. And wild. Um, it's wild. It's stuff that we don't necessarily think about unless you've been through it. And I thank you for sharing sharing that because it's these are things that if hopefully we change for the future, that people down the road who are experiencing pregnancies don't have similar scenarios or can get the help that they need earlier on. Um, you know, it's just it's 2020. It's 2022 right now. We should have better care. <laughs> period. I, I remember, yeah. yeah, you know, so yes. many of my appointments were virtual, right? So I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, hey, how are you doing? Good. Any, any issues? I don't think so. Like, right. luckily like, it's my second. So I, I, my so I knew. To, yeah. yeah. Luckily it was my second, baby. so I kind of knew a little bit more, but imagine if it was, if it's your first pregnancy or if there's something that is going wrong is you don't even know what to, what to say. And, um, Right. If this happened in my first pregnancy, I literally would have been completely clueless. Yeah. I would have had yeah. no idea. Like, I still had no idea. You know, my body still did what it was supposed to do. It still went into labor by itself. Like, it still did it all. And so since then, mm -hmm. since April 5th, 2021, to now, it's been just over a year. Um, and I see the stuff that you share on Instagram, but can you talk a little bit about just your journey, um, processing, you know, grief yeah. and loss? Yeah. So I think that the obvious, it was the delivery literally was like an out of body experience. I remember all the pain, everything vividly, but it feels like I, I watched it. I can see it all. I can see the position I was in. I can see exactly where all the nurses and everybody and my midwives were right there. Like, thank God, literally thank God. Like his hand had everything to do with this. They let both my midwives and my husband and everybody in again, pandemic. Um, they were all right there. Everyone, all my support people were right there and all our family came in. So it was such an out of body experience coming home without her was like when it all hit, um, you know, we came home, the birth tub was still up. The bassinet was in the room, the everything, my whole, my whole, you make a birth kit. It was all here. It was all on the bed. It was all ready for the baby. You know, that really hit us. We moved it out really fast, but it was all here in our room. And you still give birth to a baby. So I was still bleeding. And then my milk came in and it was my second baby. So my milk came in super strong. And that was extremely painful. I was so engorged. I mean, 
there's never like a good thing about any of this, but it was a good thing that I knew how to use a manual breast pump. It was good. I knew how to use an electric breast pump because I remember using that thing with Eloin and I was like, literally, what is this? I don't understand. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and I knew that I needed, I knew what it meant to pump for relief versus pump to empty my breast. Like, how do you know what that means when you've never done that before? You need to literally know what it feels like. Yeah. I needed to know what it felt like to have a letdown because I remember my letdowns being very painful with Eloin. So I already knew that. And I already knew that that painful letdown was normal for me and it didn't freak me out. You know, people brought me cabbage leaves and my midwife brought me herbs to help slow my milk and different things to help that. And like, I was so blessed to have this community and the knowledge around that. And I think about that a lot. And then I think about a lot how I knew what to do for my body. I knew that I needed to rest, even though I wanted to like get up and run and just do something to get away from this pain. I knew different massages to help release some tension in my body. I knew what I needed to do. I, and, and then I was like, you know, laying, doing my breath work. And it just hit me. I was like, I need to just write this down, put it in a program and have it available for other women that are going through this. Because so many of my friends were told me, you know, later on, a few months later, like I was literally scouring the internet for something that I could just buy and give to you, like mm-hmm. send to you to help you through this. Because whether or not we're trying to get fit, you know, this 100% is not about losing the baby weight. This is about how do you heal your body? You know, what does that look like? Within the course, I'm writing it from day one of your loss and I talk about this in depth, like you don't have to buy this day one after your loss, but this is for that mother that has a best friend or a coach that is like, Hey, I know this course I'm buying this. It's online. Go through it. Like I'm writing it from day one and it's going to have lactation consultants right there immediately to be like, this is what it feels like for your milk to come in. This is what you have to do. Whether or not you are planning to breastfeed, your milk's going to come in no matter what. The second that placenta leaves your body, your brain is like, it's time to make milk. And that's just how it goes. So there's going to be lactation consultants, grief counselors, everybody accessible right there without being handed a folder. Like I was handed a folder of pamphlets that I don't even know where it is now. Right. And it's everyone's just trying to help. So this is my way of trying to help. And I hope that it's a little bit easier and that there's just links all together yeah and with that's all in one spot yeah Yeah. and it's gonna have breath work so the first three weeks there's gonna be powerpoints written by me with my voice on there teaching you what diastasis is what prolapse is but most importantly we're starting with just breathing and it's faith-based christian-based and there's um verses there to help i don't know to help does never it never sounds yeah. right, but just something to hold on to. They're called rest in these truths, and and then within that, it has my words from those weeks. So I literally laid on the ground, I breathed, I journaled, and that's what you're reading when you are looking at my ebook, and that's what's there. So those first three weeks, it's all about breath work paying attention to your bleeding, listen to, you know, people that are certified to talk to you about your boobs and your milk, <laughs> um, pelvic floor, physical therapists, Ruby, you're on there also as yeah. a physio. Um, yeah. you're coming on very early to talk about 
what the pelvic floor physical therapist is going to talk about, but how to implement that in real life, which is important, like very important because there's such a, there's a bridge there. And that's where like me as a coach comes in, but you are like, this is what she's saying. You're like, translating it for them. Exactly. And And that's what I love doing, to be honest, is, you (laughs) know, the pelvic floor physio stuff is like, you know, the Kegels and the rehab. And it's like, okay, but how do we then apply it to real life and movement and when you're moving around? And I really think that what you are creating is so crucial because now if any of us know anybody who's experienced a loss, we know who to send them to And one of the things that I really admire is you're creating a trigger-free space for them. And so can you talk a little bit about what that is and what that means? Yes. So there is definitely – and I just got chills. Thank you for saying all that. Um, uh, It's completely trigger-free. So even for me with a living child, it is so triggering to be looking at Instagram and seeing like these mommy fit boot camps. And I'm not saying this like – in any way that's mean. It's just like, I should be doing that. I should be doing that. Like, why does she have that baby? And I don't. So I, even as a second time mom, I can't go to those classes. I could barely even handle going to the grocery store because you go to the same grocery store. Everyone knew you were were pregnant. So all those instances, like you're not going to pick up and go to the gym, even if everybody at the gym knows, like you walk in and people, their faces drop. They're so sad for you. And that is hard. That is really, really hard because they're supportive, but you want to go and you just want to move your body. So I played with the idea of like, how am I going to do this program? And I was like, it needs to be at home. I did it at home. This just needs to be at home. It's going to be created so that it's all the equipment. It's all spelled out for you. You can do it at home. And it's completely trigger free. So that means every expert that is coming on, they are not saying you're carrying your baby around, you know, you were up late nursing, um, you've got your baby in your front carry, like things like that. None of that is going to be said. You know, they're not going to be mentioning or they're not going to be coming on and apologizing, like, I'm so sorry for your loss. They're coming on and they're talking to you as an expert in their field, speaking to you where you're at exactly. Of course, this is going to be triggering. Of course, this is going to be hard, but you're not going to have to walk into the program and feel that you already have uh, walls up, worried that there might be some sort of triggering moment within the course. You know, I have refilmed all my movements to ensure that my first daughter is not in there. You know, I... uh, I have made it completely trigger-free because that's exactly what I want it to be. All the language is going to be respectful around that and recognizing that the women that are purchasing, utilizing this course, they gave birth to a baby and that baby is still very real, but we know that that baby is not here, which is the hardest part. So everyone is very aware and I love that all the experts on, I know them all very well. But they, I know for sure, have taken what I've asked for them to do and researched the heck out of it, reached out to multiple different people in their circle, and it's become a conversation within their own businesses and within their own world. I know that the pelvic floor physical therapist I've worked, I, that is going to come on. I've worked with her for years now, but she's got, she was super excited to connect back with me after I asked her to, and at hearing what she's doing in her own 
um, circle of pelvic floor physical therapists, physios, everything. She said it's just sparked the most beautiful conversation of how we need to help these women better because this is always going to happen. So when we have the experts on, they're going to talk about, you know, what's inspired them to change in their field and hopefully put in different protocol practices. You know, my, the physical therapist I just spoke with, she is like thinking more about what that first one or two sessions might look like with a woman like me coming in to see her. So it's just so cool. So yeah, like, I think you've created a I, ripple effect by the work that you've done. Yeah, just even no, in sharing. Um, yeah, and I yeah. see that and, play out through social media, obviously, but even in my own work is in the past. I, I don't even know how many of my clients have experienced loss in the past. Like it's common, you know. And maybe I don't know what the I don't know if you have stats of stillbirth versus. And what the definition of stillbirth is versus pregnancy loss, infant loss. Like I don't, I don't know. I'm not, I don't know well enough. There are, there are stats of course. So one in four women suffer miscarriage. So that is generally speaking, and I might be slightly wrong, but stillbirth is considered anything after 20 weeks. 20 weeks. Yeah. Which still feels really late. You know, then you have things like uh, chemical pregnancy or molar pregnancies, which are more categorized as um, a missed period. Yeah. But then you get your period, which is a miscarriage bleed just a few days later. Um, But then you have the, you know, what a miscarriage at 17 weeks is later and that feels different. A miscarriage at 19 weeks is way later and that feels way different. You know, and, and people try to talk about this and I, I listen to them and the common theme is that their baby died and it really sucks. So at any point in the pregnancy, a baby dying is the same as me losing my baby at birth versus someone losing their baby at eight weeks. It sucks. They grieve something differently where I got to feel my baby move. I got to meet my baby. I got to hold my baby. I grieve like... Yeah. All that time, that excitement, that preparing, and she's the gone. Hope. So, yeah. yeah and, uh, so in general, stillbirth is considered after 20 weeks. Um, okay. And that's one in 160 women. And I just think about when I go drop my daughter off at school, I pick her up, I go to the grocery store. I'm like, man, I've just seen 160 people. Easily. Like, I'm that person in this group, you know. It's so common. And if you follow more, like, it's like, um, I saw something, it was like five kindergarten classes gone, you know, that many kids gone. So it's just wild. It's everywhere. The fact that I think people are uncomfortable to talk about it, I think because they're afraid to say the wrong thing. And this is something that I, this is something that comes across all themes. Like this is, I'm, I'm thinking of like anti-racism work. People are afraid to say oh, yeah. the wrong thing so they don't <laughs> say anything at all, but I think it's better to say something and make a mistake and learn from it than to just sit in silence. And I think around loss, pregnancy loss and stillbirth, I think there is a lot of silence or like feeling bad mm-hmm. for somebody else versus like, let's put this person's priority at the forefront versus you're feeling bad about it. Because like, it's not about us. It's about the person who's experienced right. yeah. this huge yeah. loss. And yeah. You've really helped in kind of translating that, I think, because 
I remember there's times when I've known somebody's experienced a loss and I'm like, is it bad for me to reach out because they didn't tell me I heard about it through somebody else? And no, no, you know, I reach out and I'm like, I'm so sorry to hear it. You don't have to message. You know, this is, I just want you to know if you want to chat, I'm here. If you want me to drop off food or send you food so you don't have to see me, that's okay too. And, you know, I think people, what do you think? What do you think is the best way that people can support you? And I know everyone's yeah. different, but what was the best <laughs> way people could support you? 100% everyone's different. I'm super introverted. <laughs> My husband is super extroverted. So what he wanted was everybody around. And it, and then me, I'm like suffocating <laughs> because I can't relax with people around. He can relax with people around. So that was mm. like um, a big thing is relationships, your close relationships. Like how are they doing? That was really challenging. Learning different people's grief languages was really hard. But for me, and I think I saw this on somebody's, another mom's post that don't give them grief homework, like just do it. And grief homework, I thought was like the perfect word. Like, don't reach out and say, what can I do for you? Like, I don't know. I don't know. Mm. Like, I literally would want to write back, like, go get my baby. Like, I don't know what you want me to say. Um, Just drop the coffee at the front porch. If she's not going to drink it, she's going to dump it down the sink, but it doesn't matter. It's the thought that counts. Right. Like, and we don't want to think like they're trying to be wasteful. That's definitely not it. Um, but just drop it off. you know, I can't tell you how many times there's open my front door and there's food and flowers. And, um, one of my friends started making little baggies of snacks for Elwyn. And that was amazing because we just, put them in the fridge and she could grab her snack and people were dropping off toys for her and like just stuff to do for her. That was really nice because she's grieving too. Like heavily she grieves her sister. Um, it's people would just make food and leave it. Um, and then, you know, and one thing that I noticed, like when you drop off food, please don't expect the container back. That was really hard. (laughs) That was like really, really hard. Um, you know, put it in something that can be tossed or that they can keep Tupperware. Um, I'm not coming back. <laughs> sorry to say, but I threw away a lot of Tupperware because I had so much Tupperware. Uh, but just think like you're giving this to them. Don't make them work for it and don't expect anything back. And, and that's hard to say because a lot of people are making you a super nice meal in a, in a casserole dish that they want back because that's normal. You would give back a casserole dish. But I can't tell you whose casserole dish I have in my cabinet anymore. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I love the food. I don't remember what it was in it. We ate it. It's gone. And I have this dish and no one's asked me back for it. So clearly they don't, they don't care. But I don't know who it belonged to. Mm-hmm. Um, but those simple things, um, the gym that I was at in St. Louis, they got together and they got like $750 on a meal delivery thing. And that was like amazing. All I had to do was go on there and pick something then the gift certificate a lot of women sent me doordash um coupons or whatever it's called yeah gift cards gift cards yeah and that was great because my husband travels a lot for work so once he had to start traveling again then it was just me and ellie and it was got challenging and you know griefy heavy days i didn't want to do anything and that made it super easy um and uh just, yeah, just messaging them like, I love you. I'm here, you know, or what I really appreciate now is like a message that says, 
I thought about reading it today, you know, doesn't matter what it is, what you thought, if it was anything beyond than just thinking about her, those messages mean so much. And then I think releasing any and every expectation of hearing back from that person. Yes. Like, yeah. I don't know. Sometimes I just don't know what to say. Like, it is like, it means the world to me. But I just say, you know, thank you. But that thank you is beyond more than just a thank you. Like, that means so much to me. Um, yeah. Just not asking for a asking for something and needing a response to move forward on what you would like to do for them is really mm-hmm. important. And so, I think that yeah. that's – thank you for sharing that because I think part of what we have been socialized to believe is, you know, in order to be nice to somebody, you want to ask for their opinion. But mm-hmm. also in, at this point in time, if somebody is going through immense grief, they don't want to waste mental energy providing opinions on which – food, you know, whatever, like which, which type of meal yeah, you want. I don't or care. Which, <laughs> don't care. Yeah. So just do something. And I think the other part of it is like, if you're doing something for someone else out of the goodness of your heart, don't expect anything in return. This is not like a wedding gift that you're sending. This is a, like totally different, you know, don't expect thank you cards or, you know, anything in return. I'm just summarizing what you said, because I think that's important is some people will get offended for sure. Um, but it's like, this isn't about you. This is about the other person and sustaining and nourishing them. I love the idea of bringing something for Elowen because she would be grieving and for a child to understand that loss with a child's brain would be really hard. And for you also to kind of navigate around that would be really hard. So giving her toys and attention and love too, so that, you know, she feels supported through it. I think all of that Mm -hmm. is so important and incredible. And in terms of now, this is a, a you know just over a year later. Do you find that people can have conversations with you, or do you find that you want to even have conversations, you know, about? Yeah, you your know, experience? and it is nice because then it, just like you said, you know, I don't know what to say, and I'm sorry, and I don't want to say the wrong thing, and um, I think that's nice now because I'm like I can actually form a response. Like there, there is no words, there is nothing, and um. And I appreciate more so when people come to me and they're like, they tell me about their relationship with Rainy because something that's really hard is she was in my stomach and like it was the pandemic and not many people got to rub her or touch her or really even see me pregnant other than social media. Mm -hmm. And then I really grieve the fact that they didn't get to meet her. I grieve the fact that I didn't get to show her off and like people get to watch her smile and be super cute. You know, I, I really grieve the fact that there was no really excited announcement about what her gender was. Like, that sucks. It was literally a group message. Like, my baby died, and it was a girl, and we're home, and we're safe. Like, that was, like, the message. Mm-hmm. And I, it was absolutely devastating to the group of friends that received that, and I know that, and there was, like, no way around that. Um, but now... It is easier to talk about. It's like it's sunk in more. The grief is just as heavy as it was the day that she died. But it's like it's more integrated. Like it's never going to change. It's never going to feel less painful. But I have, I think I shared this recently, gotten to the point where I can go to the grocery store without worrying someone's going to say something. Or I've gone to most of those appointments that you have to disclose your pregnancy history and all that's gone. Um, and then the conversations are just more easy and more open. And 
for my brain, I have very much a coaching brain, so I can easily turn it off and we can talk about the different things. And, um, and I think that's something to highlight in the course. I have been working on how to say it super gently, but the delivery of a stillborn baby, if it's, if you, you know, just the delivery, like my cervical lip and pushing super hard had a massive impact on my pelvic floor and it was a very hard delivery. But then we see emergency C-sections, we see instrumental births, placental Mm -hmm. abruptions. These are very traumatic, physically traumatic beyond just the emotional things on our body that need a lot of attention and restoration and rehabilitation after birth. Um, And then women who suffer these losses tend to get pregnant at a faster rate than a woman that gave birth to a living baby. So we got to think about the pelvic floor there too. Like their pelvic floor barely maybe healed from that fourth degree tear or that episiotomy or that instrumental birth Mm -hmm. and they're pregnant again. And now it's a physical demand on top of a very heavy emotional demand of Pregnancy after such dramatic loss is very processing both the loss in and then. itself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that I found that is you a know, good point. I never, yeah, um, I never thought about that. Is you're right. People who have a miscarriage earlier on, especially, they're going to try at their next at their next cycle. Oftentimes, you know, it's like mm-hmm. I, I have seen many friends do that, and many clients. You know, it's like, oh, you know, this happened, but they're stressed. They want to try again right away. And I think one thing that I'm hearing from you is like allowing your body time to heal, right? And getting the support, getting the rehab, getting the process, getting basically time and someone to help you heal because you're not going to necessarily heal in six weeks, even, right? you know, yeah, even you from an early loss. Mm-hmm. You still, you'll see women um, who had full-term stillbirths that will get pregnant within just a few months and be delivering right around their baby's first oh my gosh. previous baby's first birthday. Oh, birthday. Um, and that's so fast, you know, but that's not to say that that can't happen. You can't do, you can't not do that. This yeah. program, I have wrote it so that it will still carry you through it's six months long through that time. And it can still be implemented in that subsequent pregnancy. So you're like, yes, I want to get Incredible. pregnant again right now, right after a full-term pregnancy three months, this is still applicable. And that's a consideration. And I think we all have gotten to that point where we can understand pelvic floor health so much better now that we can restore the pelvic floor, even under the demand of a second pregnancy. And Mm -hmm. I think that is so valuable that your coaches will always be qualified to help you with that. Your physios are qualified to help you with that. The pelvic floor physical therapist will help you with that. And we now we know how a much an emotional feelings impacts your pelvic floor, right? Like you're super sad. Your pelvic floor is doing something else. So connecting both on the emotional and physical level of the recovery. And that's what I really try to highlight in this course. I, I love that my psychology degree and all that work I had done previous to becoming a coach is now becoming so relevant. And I just, I really like, like that a lot. I think that's a point that's also missed in most programs, period, whether it's specific to, you know, post loss or postpartum is the huge mental component with pain, with prolapse, with leaking, with um, any type of symptoms, you know, and I remember you saying something when we, when we chatted about, you know, your body being in so much pain 
un, you know, after Rainey's birth, unlike after Elwin's birth. And your body just hurt for a long time. And was that from the delivery and the birth or do you feel like it's – Yeah, I would think so. I I laugh because I remember thinking when I was in labor with Elwin that like, I was like, dang, I'm going to be so sore from this, like so sore. Um, But I wasn't, I wasn't sore at all. And, you know, I didn't have to deal with the milk. After delivering Rainy, I had to push so hard. I remember pushing so hard. I popped a blood vessel like on the side of my eye and um, uh, some, one of the blood vessels in my hand from squeezing so tight. And that, that, again, I was unmedicated. I was in a better pushing position on my knees than I would have been if I was laying flat on my back trying to push with wide knees versus knees in yeah. um, a, a dead baby. So yeah. I pushed so hard. I was in the optimal position. I could feel it. I pushed with contractions, blah, 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 blah. I was so sore. My hips were sore. My the, my inner thighs were extremely sore, and I don't know why. My abs were super sore. Like I couldn't even touch my stomach. I remember laying on my belly after I gave birth to Elowen and not thinking twice about it. I couldn't even touch my stomach. It was extremely sore. The muscles were super sore from pushing really hard, working so hard. Um, yeah, and then the milk on top of that. So super sore body. The after cramps contractions after birth contractions I think they're called more specifically um were way more intense with a second delivery second pregnancy so that sucked a lot (laughs) um yeah and I was just I was in so much pain so much physical pain on top of the emotional pain so who knows I don't think I would be that sore if she was alive I know that I would not have been that sore yeah yeah and I so, think that's important also for anybody working with with uh, people who've experienced losses, that their bodies may be in a lot of pain physically and mentally and emotionally. So, you know, even with exercise pro- progression or with meeting, like I'm, I'm just thinking, oh, do you want to go for a walk? It seems like such a casual question, right? But if that person is physically in a lot of pain, maybe going for a walk is not the best idea. Um, even just, I'm thinking about friends I had I've had who've experienced loss and some of the questions that maybe I asked that I weren't the best. And I think I want to thank you for sharing those, all of this with, with us so that we are better able to support the people in our lives. Um, because we're, we're all going to, I think, know somebody who's experienced, I mean, I know for a fact, we are all going to know somebody who's experienced a miscarriage. And if it's one in 160 who've experienced a stillbirth, you know, that's a pretty high number when you think about it. You know, someone at your kid's school, mm-hmm. Some one of their moms has probably experienced a stillbirth. Um, and we need to be mm-hmm. more okay. Yeah, I'm, that, I'm that mom that, that we mom. all met yeah. for first day of school. And, oh, how many kids do you have? Two. My baby. I just had a baby. Literally just had a baby when Ellen started school. But she died, yeah. you know. And the, the shock, I'm sure, on their face. And then they proceed to not know. What to what say? To what but to say? What to it's do? Yeah. Everywhere, you know, and and I think that we don't need to change how we ask about people's children, but we need to be prepared for the answer that we get, ah. you know, yeah. and that's very hard. And then another thing I learned through this is it's okay to apologize. It's okay to know more and go back and be like, I remember vividly saying this one thing to you after your loss, and I'm really sorry. That was not okay. 
you know, whether they remember it or not, or, you know, then it spurs maybe another conversation about their loss. And I think that's really important. And uh, you talked about the, the like racial, yeah. the, that we've kind all correlation. been yeah. more talking about. I talked with, and in, in, in no, I always say her name wrong. And I set. And then yeah. I, yeah. I repeat it multiple times. Um, and we had the exact same conversation because I was like, wanted her, to, she's coming on, she's talking about diastasis recti and loading the core in the program. Um, but I want to really highlight her for the work that she does talking about b- being black and how that changed, how that is and what, how society treats black women, people of color, completely different. And I was so awkward because I didn't know what to say. And she's Mm -hmm. like, I don't know what to say to you. You We just have to talk about it. And I was like, let's have to talk about it and figure it out. It is. And I see that in a lot of difficult conversations is some people avoid it. Some people pretend like it's not there or they avoid the person because they're afraid of saying the wrong thing. And I really think that you know, that's not the po- that's not a positive way forward, especially if it's a friend, family member in your life, somebody in your community is being willing to try. You probably will make mistakes. It's okay to own up to it and apologize. You know, like we teach our kids, right? You know, it's like, oh, if you make a mistake, you know, say I'm sorry or whatever is I've realized is when we know better, we do better. I think it was Maya Angelou who who said that originally. And and then I've learned so much through Anemesit to and through you about various topics. And um, when you were speaking, I really was like, oh, yeah, it's very similar to that, that parallel. Um, And what are you – so I I know you've kind of described your whole experience in your program. Your program is called the Recovery After Loss Program, and I'm so excited to be a part of it. I really think that what you're doing is incredible, and I know that you're going to be touching so many women's lives. And I love that they don't have to start day one because day one they might still be just – trying to survive. Yeah. And whenever <laughs> they find out. That it's there. Exactly. Yeah. But it's there. And I think that's the thing is, especially for people who may be already working with you, or maybe it's their second child and, or their, you know, second or third or, you know, multiple experiences that they may have had. And I think for a first time mom or parent, I hope that generally speaking, that they know that there is help out there from people like you who are going to give them high quality service, but also be mindful of the stage of life and grief that they're in. Um, Yeah. 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 And I really went back and forth on starting it day one, week one after your loss. But um, I thought, you know, what I'm teaching in these first three weeks is exactly what I would teach from a mother that was two years postpartum. So it's so applicable. Regardless. You know, those words. Right. Those words will bring you back to that first week. Absolutely. And my hope too there is like, if you are looking for this program, because you're like, I still need to recover my body. I am sure there are still some of those emotional wounds that we want to talk about too. And we can knit back together or there's been so many instances that something comes up and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I just realized that like, it took me so long to realize that um, being scared unexpectedly or like like an unexpected loud noise or somebody making me nervous is my trigger. 
It's a, it's a, mm. one of my triggers. And it took yeah. a while for those things to correlate, you know, the unexpected news, the unexpected pain. I did not expect her birth to be so painful. So unexpected pain is really hard for me and it's a massive trigger for me and it, and it took time. So coming even three years or more after your loss back into this will heal more than just your body. And that's the whole point. None of this course talks about your weight, your, you, you know, your pre-pregnancy body, your, you know, whatever, none of it. It has nothing to do that. It's full physical recovery so your body is supportive of you again and i think that's what majority of us coaches do in general but it's really important in this course your whole body your physical body your emotional body your heart all of it and i think it also will help people bring awareness to the fact that because you just you just noticed that correlation with noise and you know the fear response in your body and the trauma response but many people aren't aware of that and so they may not even be realizing why they're so triggered and by talking about these things in in their in your program i can imagine how healing it would be um something that you know i have ptsd from you know various events that have happened in my life and noise is triggering for me and certain things are triggering or i'm very heightened to like people who make me feel unsafe and that kind of thing and so I recognize that. And because I recognize that, I understand when I like strategies to help calm myself down in the moment um, or even spending time with people who make me feel safe versus don't. You know what I mean? It's like it's subtle yeah. things, but are, <laughs> that can be life changing. Um, yeah. Yes. The trauma response is so huge. There's so there's so many layers to this loss that it's just unbelievable. The You know, you don't just have the loss of your baby, you have a traumatic birth, whether or not, you know, there's lots of stories I've read where they had an easy delivery for all intents and purposes. It was easy, but it's a traumatic birth regardless, right? Traumatic. And yeah, you're unpacking grief, you're unpacking trauma, you're unpacking pain, you're unpacking loss. And then with this loss, you lose so much, you know, relationships. I felt I lost my business until I was like, no, this is great right? You know, and you, so much changes, so much changes. Right. We, you know, we sold our car because we couldn't look at our car that used to have an infant car seat in it. You just, you know, so much changes. You yeah. just, you just, I can't be excited about friends' pregnancies. I can't go to their gender reveal parties because I'm like, if it's they, I don't know, even know how, but I feel like if it's a girl, I will, I would just, I would just die. Like I would literally, I couldn't, do that right like yeah. so I grieve all of that the, the friendships have changed completely it's very hard and it's also important to recognize that like you are a year out so if somebody's listening to this and they're two months or five months and they're still earlier on things will take time. It's not like you figure it out on day one. Okay, sell the car, do this, do that. It's like you, you're still navigating this and I think that mm-hmm. hopefully your friendships, you'll probably – figure out new friendships too, right? You probably will connect with people in a new way. Um, and I also think that I know this is a question I have. I know a friend who has had she's she was pregnant with her third and her friend had experienced multiple losses and she didn't want to tell that friend because she had experienced multiple losses. So but who knows what the right thing is? Is it is it right to withhold mm-hmm. that information or is it better to tell, you know, no, you know, I've had, oh my gosh, I, 
literally like all of my very close friends are pregnant right now and all of them are pregnant with girls all of them oh my gosh um and they told me right away um one of them i was the first person she told like she took the test she told me immediately and all of them have been very hard to hear but i am thankful that i was one of the first people i heard from their mouth that they are pregnant they didn't keep it from me because how could you hide a pregnancy you know i mean yeah. I, I know you can but like how could you hide a pregnancy from your best friend i would find out anyways um yeah. and you know it's weird some of them i feel good about being around them and some of them i don't some of them i want to hear about it and some of them i don't yeah. um and I don't know why, and I don't know what the difference is. Um, I mean, I and, think your body speaks to you, like like you said, yeah. your intuition. And like, I was thinking about this too in terms of like, you know, again, going back to like anti-racism and like my own experience with within white supremacy and like having events, you know, racist events and that kind of thing or experiences, yeah. not events. Like there's some people I feel comfortable talking to about that and others that I don't. And I'm talking about friends, close friends. And in when I actually question that, I know it's because I feel safer around some people. And mm-hmm. so I think it's for you, you're honoring your safety, you're honoring your body, you're honoring yourself by, you know, opening opening up to certain people and not others. And I think that's I, yeah. I also love that and they I, respected you and told you right away. I think that's important yeah, for people to like hear. It. Yeah, a direct answer to that would be like tell them and let them form their own feelings around it. Don't try to protect them and mm. hide it because that is devastating too like i don't know i don't know what actually happened to somebody i know is they didn't find out and their friend had the baby and then they found out after the baby was born that this person was pregnant yeah. the entire time i would i if that happened i would be like why <laughs> mm-hmm. right i mean yeah one of my girlfriends told me and she coincidentally she was pregnant right along with me with rainy she delivered her baby boy six weeks before mine so for her to be pregnant and you know compounding it is i am trying to get pregnant it has been nine months so Mm. it's hard but then she's pregnant again and when she told me it was super devastating and she's well aware of this we've talked about it but i wasn't able to talk to her for a good couple months probably because I was just like I'm watching you with this baby uh and then now you're pregnant again and I want that you know and she recognizes that and she was like I'm telling you because it's important and I understand and I said I just need space and she gets it and now we've reconnected and just allowing that like don't keep pushing them she never texted Mm. me like she would just drop coffee off and text me like, I dropped coffee off, you know, like just thoughtful things versus like, so how are you feeling? When are you going to start talking to me? Like, it's not petty. Mm. Like we're adults at this point, right? Yeah. yeah. It's okay if your friend needs some space from you, they are going to come back, but yeah. Or they don't. And it has nothing to do with you. And I, I spoke to a woman and she said, how somebody responds to your grief has nothing to do with you. And I thought that was so powerful because they have unprocessed things. Everyone has their own unprocessed thing. Maybe me, my baby dying was a massive trigger for you and you just can't handle it. And I'm okay with that. Like, I don't know. I don't know what happened to you, but if you can't talk to me, about it be around me anymore i respect that right like Mm -hmm. and and that's how other people are receptive to my 
my needs right now as well. And it's going to be like this forever. And that needs to be remembered. Five years is not going to make it where I could just openly talk about my baby at all times or listen to you joyfully talk about your pregnancy. That's never going to change for me. And and that sucks. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's a reality that a lot of people need to, I think, also accept is that just because, you know, Brie has been one year postpartum doesn't mean you can suddenly just like be like, oh, you should now be, you know, happy about my pregnancy, my experience, because it's been a year or like a two years or some arbitrary timeline. Grief is mm-hmm. fluid, right? And I do like that point is you you can't control how other people respond to your grief because they may have unprocessed grief and trauma. And like a lot of people are in denial about their own levels of trauma. And I've realized that since I started doing therapy myself is I think I don't think I could have this conversation with you a year ago because of the unprocessed trauma that I had that I still am working on but I feel like I now have better um skills right it's just you mm-hmm. have better skills to cope with it and then you're aware I call it aware emotional boundaries right I can't yes. listen to other mothers birth stories of their stillborn babies still um mm-hmm. And I cannot talk about medical interventions. It's extremely triggering for me because it's a lot of the what ifs or, oh my gosh, that could have, that event could have happened to me in my stillbirth. Like it's just, yeah, maybe one day I'll get there. But uh, it's, yeah, you, we are, it's fluid. You know, there's yeah. a mother I know that's been 20 years since her stillbirth and she still can't, the pregnancies are exciting, but there's so much more to that because it's like whew, takes you right back to that moment 20 years and I also ago. think for you because you are trying to conceive and because you know you're still in that phase of of life I think it's also important to protect your your own space and your own mental energy because you know I'm just thinking about listening to other people's um birth stories and stillbirth stories would be really hard if you're still processing and still trying to conceive. Like I didn't listen to, I didn't like listen to listening to birth stories period before, like I'm done having kids now. So it's like, now I can listen to it and I don't feel it in my body in the same way. But, um, right. you know, I did not experience pregnancy loss, but with my first, a lot of what was going on in my life around then felt like loss in some ways. I need a moment. But yeah, I just think that we need to protect our mental mental energy and space too because if you're pregnant and you're listening to something that is really triggering um, or painful or heavy, it's okay to not listen to it at that time and come back and revisit it later. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. This would be triggering if you were pregnant. Because that's it's scary. It's it's very scary. Terrifying. But it yeah. also it's like I need you to know because I need you to know the signs, the symptoms. This is yes. not normal. Be aware. Just be aware. We should be a little bit more aware in the third trimester. It's not all good once you hit the third trimester. There's more things and this is devastating. But yeah. you can be aware without having to hear my whole story. Right. You don't need to know. You can be aware without feeling fearful too, right? It's like you can be aware of it without feeling like, oh, I have to, you know, be obsessed about it. But I really like that what you said at the beginning is if you're you know your body, you know your baby, you've been with your baby for nine months. So if your baby starts moving, behaving differently, um, 
And that's the other hard part is you're in a pandemic. And here too, we, we're in Toronto in a big city. You would think access to care would be better, but it's actually worse, you know, because it's just overloaded. The system is overloaded and they try to keep you out of hospitals and out of, you know, centers as much as possible. So it is incredibly hard, but the whole thing is, the whole thing is hard, you know? Um but I'm so yeah. – I'm proud to <laughs> yeah, know yeah. you because I see what you're doing and I see how powerful it is in so many ways. I think of everyone who's a pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach is learning so much from you too. And this is a topic that I don't think anybody really talks about. And even yeah. just the language around postpartum, you know, mom and baby class, you know, this mm-hmm. and baby is – it's not always this and baby. So why, why don't we just switch it to postpartum period and you know right. talk about it in it's, that yeah. way? I think about when I left Brianna's seminar initially and my brain yeah. was like, oh my gosh, like everything that I thought I was doing right just exploded. Yeah. It wasn't wrong. Nothing I was yeah. doing was wrong, but now I know better. Now yeah. I can do better. And that's what I've heard repeatedly from you guys, you coaches, like, yeah. oh my gosh, how many times did I say something and I didn't know her story or I knew that she lost a baby, but I had no, I, I have, I have no idea how long, far along she was. I don't know how long ago it was. And I even think back like, oh my goodness, how did I support my women who I knew had miscarriages? I don't think I supported them as well that's as That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Now. <laughs> because, you know, other than, you know? A, cause that's what I'm reflecting back on, you know, people who I've known who've had a miscarriage and it's. I think it depends on the relationship, whether it's a close friendship or not. And um, I'll never forget the, my first exposure to this was when I was like really young. I'm I'm almost 36, and my friend, one of my friends, has three kids now. She's she was a mom very young, at a, at a younger age. And we were going on a camping trip, canoe trip, and she had had a miscarriage during the trip. Of like, and then went to the hospital, came back after she came back from the hospital, canoed back out to the campground and camped for the whole weekend and nobody talked about it. We all knew what happened, but we all did not know what to say. We're like, oh, she's back. Like, hmm, I guess she's okay. But like, I don't know if it was immaturity or what, but like, I'm thinking back to that experience and how traumatic it would have been for her to go through that and then go through the whole weekend and not really like... I don't know, you know, and (laughs) not really say anything because everybody was kind of like, okay, well, she looks fine. So like, you know, do we just pretend like it didn't happen or like, you know, and we have Mm -hmm. talked about it since. And, you know, um, that was her first time and she, she has had three kids since. So it doesn't take away from that experience, you know? I think that the stillbirth is so in your face, which makes it like, oh my God, that's horrible. But then we look at a miscarriage and we say, like, what happens in one for women? You know, there's a 25% chance that you'll miscarry in the first few weeks. It's normal. It's Mm. not normal. It's common, right? And that's another thing that we realize, you know, where it's, quote, normal to pee your pants. We're like, no, it's not normal. It's common. And it still sucks. And I think that that really takes away from these women wanting to share about their miscarriage because yeah, maybe it's so early that they haven't even shared that they were pregnant, but I've had so many women message me. I miscarried a baby I was trying for, for years, you know, that is devastating, right? Like that just, 
And then we leave these poor moms because they feel that it's normal and there's no space to talk about it. But, you know, there is a space. I love that. Talk about it. (laughs) I was told at the hospital when I had my, when I was in early pregnancy with my first experiencing my first bleed that the doctor is like, oh, it happens in one in three pregnancies. But he's like, I think the rate is actually one in two because so many people have these early, you know, chemical miscarriages and it happens so early on that they don't even realize they're pregnant. So he's like, they're really, really common. And I'm like, I know you're saying this to make me feel better, but it does not make me feel better. Just knowing that it's yeah. common doesn't actually take away the pain and and the fear the around it. So help, right? the stuff you're doesn't help. The person. No. <laughs> you're, yeah. the, you're the person experiencing the yeah. unfortunate events that is very common. Yeah, absolutely. Didn't help me. <laughs> you, didn't, you I know. Said, didn't help me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and just I, holding and space. Yes. Yeah, it's it's common. It doesn't take away from how much it hurts. And mm. I think that's where we get really stuck. And then, you know, to the mother that has experienced a miscarriage, they don't even know how to process it right now either. Where me, I didn't know how to process it either. Yeah. It just, I just feel that seeing a dead girl, full baby, holding her was yeah. just more impactful like, oh my gosh, a baby just died. Yeah. Yeah. That's the and, only difference that I can see. And I, I think another difference is people are seeing you visually, visibly very pregnant. And then so when you're seeing them, they're probably going to ask about it versus when you're having a miscarriage. Maybe most people don't know, right? Or like maybe your com- family knows, but like community members aren't seeing you visually pregnant. So it's, you know, it doesn't take the pain away make the pain any less, but I, I guess there's probably fewer random questions and people bringing it up, you know, all the time. So, but I think it's important to respect that no matter how early you are in your miscarriage or experience, it's still a valid feeling and the hurt and the pain is, is yours. And it's not any less because it's common and it's not any less because it was happened earlier or any, you know, um, it just sucks. In, in the words of Brie, it sucks. <laughs> yeah, there's no better way to say it. It just really sucks a lot. Um, well, Brie, and, you know, I do want to ask you, how can people connect with you if they want to know more about you, your services, and your recovery after loss program? What is your contact info? What's the best way to get connected with you? Um. You can connect with me mostly on Instagram. I meant to point out that I'm not actively working with clients right now. I plan to just put out programs. Uh, It's too hard. Um, You can connect with me on Instagram. We can message there. You can email me, lovedmamafitness at gmail.com. But I just switched over my website, so it's going to be slightly different. Lex Lancaster helped me make it. Oh, amazing. Lex is the best. Yesterday. So you can go on my website, lovemamafitness.com, and check out check out the whole new website um, and connect with me there as well. But I'm relatively active on social and um, talk you're a ton at loved, about Rainy. Your your name or your uh, Instagram yes, handle is loved underscore mama underscore fitness. That's me. Perfect. Um, I will tag yep. it on the show notes as well. But if someone's listening to Perfect. this, and you know, then they can they can find you. Um, and I just wanted to share a story about Rainy too, because we have, my daughter made a cloud with, um, like streamers, mm-hmm. kind of like rain. So we have it on our window facing so she can look outside. And so I told my daughter about Rainy. And so we were out in the rain yesterday because it was really rainy. 
And it is really nice, I think, to think about her, even though I don't know her and we don't know her. Um, and I think that what you what you share about Rainy makes us feel like we do know her and she's a part of part of us too. So I wanted to share that with you. Um, yeah, yeah. I love that so much. And I love that that I am sharing so much about her and creating so much because of her that I feel that that is still people getting to know her because without her, this conversation would be happening. The conversations that have rippled effect after her death would not have been happening. I mean, hopefully it would eventually, but they're happening now because of her. Mm -hmm. And And so she's bringing so much light. Light. She, she really is. And what is your, um, I want to finish with, you know, asking you about your mom's strength. What would you say is your mom's strength? Because I know you have a lot and <laughs> I would love to hear what you find in yourself is your, your strength. Yeah, I do. It is very hard to summarize as we talked about that, but I think like <laughs> more like resilience, but I don't know. I know that that's not just me. Like I I feel that my daughter has really come into me and I live out my life as what she would have been on this earth as well. I got a lot of my strength from Elowen and that experience with her. And then Rainy, again, like Elowen, really paved the path for my business. And now Rainy's helped curve it. And now we're going straight again on a different path. And, you know, I really hope that that strength is seen, you know, it's me, but there's a lot of happening inside of me. You know, the Lord is in my heart. The Holy Spirit is with me, always helping me be strong too when I need to be and and then helps pick up the pieces on those more heavy grief days too. And and I and I hope that my mom's strength comes off as that, that resilience and we can still we can boldly be ourselves in front of the world and um like you're you're not alone. I love everything about this, and I want to really thank you so much for sharing yourself, sharing your story, sharing um, a challenging, difficult topic, um, but also sharing kind of, you know, your legacy, Rainey's legacy, and um, Elowin, you know, your whole family, I think, is so proud of you, and if you are a mom listening to this, if you are a coach or a physio or somebody in the health and wellness space, Go give um, Brie a follow at loved underscore mama underscore fitness. Um, if you're listening to this and this was really helpful, share it with a friend who needs to hear it. Screenshot it. Tag us on Instagram. Um, let us know. And um, thank you. Thank you for having this conversation with us. Yes, thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Mom Strength and being part of this important conversation. Check out the show notes for more info and links, and we'll chat again.